0: So today, uh, I want to talk about who we are in the Lord, and I'm going to start off with uh, talking a little bit to the kids first. And uh, so the unit that the kids uh, have for this this uh, section is called Brave, and it's talking about the story of uh, Samuel. And I'm going to read a section of the Bible from 1 Samuel six six or First Samuel sixteen verses 6 to 13. And so, kids, I want you to pay attention to this because I'm going to have some things to tell you. So it says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So I'm going to back up a little bit. So this part of the story is that uh, Israel has just been given a king, and the king is Saul. And Saul hasn't been doing a very good job. So God speaks to Samuel and he says, I've got someone else that I want you to anoint as the next king. So you're going to go to the family of uh, Jesse and one of his sons is going to be the next king. So Samuel's there. Jesse's gathered almost all of his sons together. And this is what it says. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, uh, Jesse's eldest, I believe, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. So the youngest son already he's so unimportant in the in the family that Jesse didn't even call him to meet with Samuel. So Samuel said send for him we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said rise and anoint him this is the one so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Then Samuel went to Ramah. And so kids, here's the big idea that I want you to take, take, uh, in, if you're watching from home and it's this, it says, God knows who I am. And this is a really important truth for us to understand It's that God knows who I am and that David was young. Now he was the youngest. And that his family thought so little of him that they didn't even invite him to meet Samuel. And a question I have, and I want you to think about this, is that how do you think it feels to be little like that? Have you ever been in a situation where someone has said, no, you're too little. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you can do. You're too little. I don't want you in on this. But the truth is, is that God knew who David was. That God knew him and that God knows who you are. He knows what you can do better than you do. And so if you're at home, I will have an activity I want you to do for the next little bit. Uh, We'll give you 30 seconds to go find something to draw with, find something to write with. And uh, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about this phrase. I am, and then your name. So write that down on the page or have your parent write that down on the page. I am John. And I am... And I want you to think of as many words as you can to end that sentence. So maybe it's something like, I am John and I am funny. Don't put I am John unless your name's John. Or I am John and I am good at computers. I am John and I am athletic. And if you can write these things, great. If you can't draw pictures of them. But I want you to sit down and think, you know, this is who I am. And God knows these things about me. And maybe your parents have something else to say to you about that too. They say, you know what, you should say this. You should say that you're really smart. I would say that about my son. Not that my daughter isn't, but that my son is wickedly smart. So I would tell him to write that down, that I am Caleb and I am smart. So I want you to do that right now. I want you to write it down. And maybe you're little, but maybe you're fast, or maybe you're good at reading. And whatever it is, I want you to come up with as many of these and just take some time, sit at home, draw or color or write, and have fun decorating the page while you're doing it and i'm going to continue with the rest of the message but at some point for the kids listening in uh, i'm going to have some questions for you guys too so for us adults we're going to be picking up from first john 2 verses 3 to 6. and i put up a facebook post on saturday and it asked this question it said are we a mirror of our convictions or are we a mirror of our circumstances and i think that's a really important question for us to ask ourselves is that, do I show the world what I believe to be true, or do I show the world simply that I'm a victim of what's going on right now? And that we've been talking about Jesus and loving him as our first love for the, for the last couple of weeks. And I think that this is a really important last kind of capstone message to that idea. So I'm going to read from 1 John 2 verses 3 to 6. And it says this, we know that we have come to know him, being God, if we keep his commands and that's something that's really obvious we can't say that we know god we can't say that we love god and not do anything that he tells us to but that john goes and clarifies this a little bit further so he says we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands whoever says i know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person that's a really strong thing to say but if anyone obeys his word love for god is truly made complete in them And so, in this context, he's saying, you know what, we need to obey God no matter what. And if we say we know God, if we say we love God and we don't obey him, we're lying. And we talked about that last week. But John goes and he clarifies this a little bit more. He says, this is how we know if we're in him. So, he used the same phrase as before. He says, we know that we're, we know him and we're in him if we keep his commands. And then he says again, this is how we know that we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him, must live as jesus did and some translations here say walk as jesus walked and i think that's a great illustration that we're walking not just where jesus walked but walking in the same way that jesus walked uh i have a bad leg and for the first little bit i had a really bad limp when i was walking with with uh my bad leg And my wife and I would go for walks. I'm pretty sure at the time, I think when I hurt myself, we didn't have kids, yeah? Yeah. So um, I'd be walking with my wife and I'd be holding her hand and already there's a height differential between the two of us. And I've got like, she says I'm a month older and I say, yeah, but I've got a solid 100 pounds on you and a foot. So it balances, but there's a height differential between us and also with me being a very tall person with very long legs, there's also like a stride differential and if you've ever tried to hold somebody's hand walking and they have like 6-foot long legs like I do they're just yanking you up and down and up and down and and on top of all of that I have this limp which is throwing off the rhythm to begin with and as I'm as I'm walking with my wife there'd be a couple times where she'd go yeah but can you like not limp No no I I, I can't not limp <laughs> But eventually I learned to to keep my step like hers, to try and bob myself like she does, so that I'm not just yanking her around and dragging her down the street while we're walking. That I learned to to walk as Catherine walked. And that's why I like this, this, this image that some translations say, walking like Jesus walks. And that this is saying that we need to obey God, but it's also clarifying that. It's saying that we are in God if we take seriously the command from God that we need to live like Jesus did, that we need to walk like Jesus walked beyond all the other commands. And I want you to understand my heart here that the Bible teaches that whoever teaches people to put down the least commands will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And so I want you to understand that I'm not saying that this command doesn't matter and this one does. What I'm saying is that with God, the idea of obeying him, of obeying his commands. He wants it to start with the image of living like Jesus. And I've always believed that real spiritual growth in a church, real spiritual growth in our life doesn't start with us trying to figure out all the different commands in the Bible and making sure we're ticking all those boxes. It starts with this conversation of what do we need to do to be like Jesus? And that those those other things come out of that love. They come out of that reflection of looking like Jesus. If we're having the conversation of what to do with new people or what to do with disruptive people or whatever, we start with. How can I look like Jesus in this circumstance and that the right answers flow out of looking like Jesus. And then John here says later, he says, this is something we know. It's obvious that you can't say you're with God if you if you won't obey him. And he says, you know, this is an old command. This is one that existed from the very beginning, but he follows it up. He says, I have a new command for you here. And so he's, he's adding to this idea of if we need to follow the commands of God, he's got a new clear one for us right here. And he says, basically, that if you're living like Jesus, if you say that you're living in the light, but that you hate a brother or sister that you're still in the darkness that's a very clear indicator to john that we're living like jesus is that if there's hate in your life if you have a rift between you and somebody else that you're refer- refusing to acknowledge or do anything about that you'd rather just have that hatred and that brokenness john's saying you're you're not in the light if that exists jesus would not do that that there was no space for in this verse for someone to say they were living like Jesus, and to mean something other than loving like Jesus. But John even goes so far to say in 1 John 2.10, he says, anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. So could you imagine that, that our our commitment to be like Jesus and to love others like he did could be so powerful that we could literally claim about ourselves, there's nothing in me that will cause me to stumble in my faith. That's a lot of confidence. But the key here is that we need to live like Jesus lived. We need to love like Jesus loved. And there's many ways that we don't know the answers. There's many questions that we have about what to do with our lives, how to run our church, what to do coming up. There's lots of areas that we don't have answers like that. But the fact is, is we know what we need to do. We need to look like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. I heard a phrase, and I try not to get too terribly uh political is not the right word during messages but there's been a lot of controversy online right now about uh the pandemic and the measures that the government are taking and whether it's overreach whether some information is being falsified or not and i saw someone who summarized it really well they said maybe in 10 years we'll figure out that part of this was a hoax maybe we'll figure out that all of it is a hoax maybe we'll figure out that it was a lot worse than we thought maybe we'll figure out that the government was overreaching and maybe we'll figure out that they weren't doing enough but what i know right now is that i'm doing what i do to try to help people and i will sleep soundly at night for that that we may not know all the answers but we know what we need to do we need to look like jesus and we need to love like jesus and so sidebar The Bible here teaches that God gave us the law, and whenever we're talking about obeying God, whenever we're talking about a lot of the the harder to follow commandments, generally we're talking about a lot of the stuff that happens in the Old Testament, the list of the do's and do nots, that the New Testament asks a lot of us, but in terms of like straight rules, we tend to be thinking of the Old Testament, and so the Bible teaches that God really gave the law, not as a list of to do's and do nots for the Israelites it was to show people that they were not good enough to make it on their own through a list of to-dos and do-nots that even in the 10 commandments that there's commandments we break on a daily basis and the old testament itself is clear to say you know what if you've broken one of these you've broken all of these so the law this list of to-dos that god gave it didn't exist to be a bar to hold ourselves up to measure our success from. It existed to show us that we can never make it on our own. And so knowing that it makes so much sense that God's design for us in Christ is not a list of to do's and to do nots. It's an example life. It's an example person. It's not make sure you do this and don't do this and make sure you definitely do this. It's look at Christ and try and be like him and try and do what he does. Follow the example that Christ sets. And the Bible has this theme everywhere. In Ephesians 5 verses one to two, it says, follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so for them here, following God's example here means walking in the way of love just as Christ did for us. There it is again. So we, like I said, we may not know what steps to make next, but we do know who we should be walking like. And I find that a lot easier to do. And so here's a way of understanding this that I think will help. That God sent us an example, not an expectation. That he showed us a life, not a list. That God's way of interacting with us is not holding us up to a standard and saying, You have to get this good before the next thing I do with you, that he's holding us up to an example and saying, be like this. Are you not like this in this area? Great. Let's work on it. You're doing good in this area. Great. But that he holds up an example to us that he knows that we're not good enough to do it on our own. And that's why his spirit comes and he does all the stuff that he does for us. And so I want to sidebar at this moment and, and do another thing for the kids. I have some questions. Now, we we don't have any kids here except for my son and uh, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's answers are just going to be all random anyways. So I'm going to ask the questions and hope that the people at home, if we have children watching us, if they're listening and they're going through this. And so question one, what are some of the rules? And you know what, adults, you guys can contribute to this too. You make up the rules. But uh, what are some of the rules you have around your house that are hard or lame or they're just not fun? Now, in, in my house, um, doing the dishes is probably like my most hated chore, and that's my chore. That's the one I do a lot, and so th- I hurt my back and I'm like, this this is really bad, but I don't have to do the dishes for a couple of days, so it could be worse. So for me, doing the dishes, having to, to tidy stuff up like that is probably one of those rules. So what are some of the rules you have around your house that are hard or lame or just not fun? The rules may not be fun. Or easy, But your parents do have a good reason for the rules. They want you to become a better kind of person. And for the adults, you have a good reason for some of the rules that you have around your house. Because you want to do the right things and you've just learned that's the way to do it. So question two, name someone that you would really want to be like. It could be a real person or a character in a movie or a show, whatever. And then why do you want to be like that person? And now those people that you want to be like, would you have to change a bit to be like them? If I'm talking about being like Jesus, do I look perfectly like him already? And so, kids, I want you to think about those two questions at home. What are some of the rules you have around your house that are hard or lame or just not fun? And name someone that you'd really want to be like. It could be a real person or a character in a movie or a show, whatever. And why do you want to be like that person? And here's a question. How many times have you wanted to be like someone that you don't like? It's not. You're not looking at someone going, I hate that guy. I want to be just like him. We want to be like people that we think are cool. Or we want to be like people that we love. And Jesus really wants to have a great relationship with us. And he wants us to be like him because he is perfect. And that if we're like him, we would try to be the best kind of person that exists. But he knows that trying to make us have a great relationship with rules isn't a good way. That the rules are helpful and they catch us when we stumble, but that we become like someone through love and through wanting to follow that person. He still knows that we need to change a part of us to be more like him. And so he asks us, I want you to try and be like me. And Jesus isn't a superhero where he flies around and he punches bad guys, but he does love everyone around him. And that he saves people all the time from really bad things. That Jesus is a great person to be like. And that he's the best possible person we could ever be like. And so here's my last question. And I want you kids to think about this one. Even over the week, what do you think we should do to be more like Jesus? And if Jesus says to us, I want you to do the kind of things I did. What do you think you could do and try, try more? And this is a question even for us adults. It's this simple. What's something that Jesus did that we can do ourselves? And here's the secret. Nobody said, make sure you don't break a long list of rules when we're talking about the things that Jesus did. But if we try to do stuff that Jesus did, and we try to do it like Jesus did it, and we try to learn more of the things that Jesus did, here's the secret is that, do you think we'll do the right things or the wrong things? We'll do the right things. And this is the big secret about having a relationship with God is that he wants us to do the right thing, but that he wants to talk to us every day and show us every day how to make better choices and do better things. So let's go back to the adults here. So God's new way of dealing with us through the cross isn't by him pointing at a standard and saying, you have to be this good. It's by him pointing at his son, Jesus, and saying, you need to be more like him. And I'll help you with that. That God isn't holding a bar of rules against us. He doesn't hold out a list of sins and say, if you take too many of these, you're out. I said uh, one week that if you don't understand how much God has forgiven you, if you think there's something you could do wrong, that God would be like, you're out, that you don't understand the depth of God's love. And, you know, it might sound like we're saying God doesn't care what you do. Go, go and be as crazy and as bad as you want. But the truth is, is that God still has a standard for us. The Bible says that God's grace is not an excuse for us to sin. God still has a standard for us. God still has a method for us to follow. And that the standard is the image of his perfect son, Jesus. And that the method is daily becoming more and more like him. But rather than sit back and expect us to turn ourselves into the kind of person that deserves to be more like or to deserves to be with God, he walks with us every single day and helps us to be more like him. To be with God. Because Jesus is the only person in all of eternity who actually does deserve to be with God. And so this is the absolute end goal of our faith. I put a devotional video out earlier in the week talking about that All the things we associate with faith, going to church, singing worship songs on Sunday mornings, having a kids ministry sort of deal, these things are not the end goal of what Jesus came to make. That they're tools that God uses to bring us towards the end goal, the absolute end goal of faith, the very thing that we all work towards and that we should be pushing as a church, we should be pushing as believers in every day is to look more like Jesus. And it's that simple. That our end goal is not to build a structure somewhere that meets all of our needs. That's a great thing. But the end goal, the target, is being more like Jesus through the power and the grace of God. And I think that the, this is the biggest, biggest way that a church can lose its first love. That we started this series by talking about Revelation 2.4, where Jesus is talking to this church and he says, You you do all the right things. You tick all the right boxes. You don't like the people I don't like, but you've lost the love you had at first. And I believe that this is the biggest way that a church can lose its first love. Is that when we commit to any other goal as a church, than looking like Jesus, mirroring Jesus, both to each other and to the rest of the world, that we can lose that first love. And so here's my last point. And this one is a bit of a doozy. Mirroring Jesus means mirroring Jesus. And I know that one's a shocker, but here's my point. At no point did I say, God only wants your actions and intentions to be like Jesus, your experiences don't have to be the same. I didn't say that. I was intentional about not saying something like that. Jesus had a hard life, Jesus was persecuted. He said at one point, the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Many people loved him, but many people hated him. At no point in Jesus' ministry could you ever say that he was operating in order to build his own comfort. I bet the cross was particularly uncomfortable. You know, Jesus hung out with really colorful people. He talked to whoever would listen to God, and he loved on whoever wouldn't listen anyway." that he took care of people's needs way in above and beyond his own. At one point he does this thing where he's sitting with his disciples and he actually gets into like the garb of a slave and he washes their feet. And in the culture that was like the lowest of the low things to do. And Jesus put aside his own comfort. He put aside his own status and his position. And he said, this is about me loving other people. So when we follow Jesus, God's not moving us towards a couch. He's moving us towards the cross and the greatest expression, the greatest way that we can mirror Jesus is by offering our lives up and agreeing to go, agreeing to die to ourselves, to live for God and his plan and his purposes to reach the rest of the world. And don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus. This is straight from the lips of Christ. John 15, 12 to 13, my command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so Jesus is saying the greatest love you can have is the love that causes you to lay down your life for other people. And that includes our comfort. That includes the things that we say, yeah, but. I need this. We need Jesus. Everything else after that is negotiable. And so God's called us to mirror Jesus, not just in our thoughts, not just in our actions, but even in the experiences that he's had. And so when you're, when you're reading through the Bible, I, I restarted doing a, a New Testament reading plan myself, because I wanted to focus more on just reading about Jesus. And as you're reading through these stories and the things that Jesus is doing, I want you to say to yourself, this is what God wants me to do. That it involves persecution, it involves suffering, it involves loss. But as we become more like Jesus, we gain something greater than we could ever possibly gain. I'm convinced that this is really the one spiritual problem. Is whether or not we're becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus, because there's no plateau there there's no spot where we become enough like Jesus that God goes okay now you're done and you can just coast there's no plateau we're either growing or we're moving backwards and so I want to commit as a church to always mirror Jesus and we're going to start with that as a foundation we're going to start with this idea that Everything we do needs to mirror Jesus and needs to mirror Christ and his love. And I believe all the extra answers of what we need to do as a church going forward, what kids ministry is going to look like, what worship is going to look like, what prayer ministry is going to look like, that it'll all evolve out of this first commitment to say, I know I need to look like Christ. I don't know what the world is going to look like in six months but I know what I need to look like right now, and that's Jesus. So let's pray. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the fact that you love us so much that you've given us an example to live in. We thank you that you're with us so much that you still take care of us every single day. And I just pray that uh, as we're making this commitment as, as a church, As we're making this commitment to just love you more and honor you more and as we're committing to just being like you in every day, I just pray that you'd show us the ways that we're supposed to be more like you. More than just thought, more than just decisions, but in the actual experiences that we have every single day. And so I lift each one of us up to you, God, and I just pray that you'd help us to to learn to be more like you.